So we're now in the last section of 1 Thessalonians, and it's about church life. And it dovetails what we've been looking at in terms of eldership. I didn't plan it, but the section on church life begins in verse 12, and it urges us to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. So that is to do with the pastors and elders. So I'm not going to go into any more details regarding eldership, but we are going uh, to be looking at uh, the verses here in terms of what they have to say about leadership. Now then, very quick recap. In the first parts of Thessalonians, one of the first letters that Paul wrote, the apostle is looking back in uh, the first uh, three chapters on the gospel coming to Thessalonica and the conversion of the believers there and the way that Paul and Silas and the others were amongst them. So one to three, looking back. And then chapters four and five, he is looking forward and he's looking at how we practically live as believers in a world that's not Christian. Our society now is very similar to the society that faced the church in the book of Acts. How are we to live in such a world? Well, we've been looking at that. And especially, how do we understand the coming again of Christ? So that's where we finished. We are to live in the light of eternity, of the day of the Lord. Not get uh, obsessed about charts and events, but live each day as if Jesus Christ was to come back today. And now he ends this letter uh, from verse 12 to the end by talking about church life. What church culture to be like? How is the Thessalonian church to be the way Jesus Christ would have it to be? How is Heath Church to be modeled? Not according to our preferences, not even according to our traditions. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. I don't want us to abandon them. But in looking at these verses, our desire should be that this church shouldn't be traditional or modern, but biblical. What does Jesus want of us? And not just as individuals, but as a church. So that's what we're going to look at. Now, we're not very good at this, are we, in evangelical circles? We're strong on the gospel because we made a stand for it. And we came out, uh, well, I didn't, but many of you did in the early 70s. I wasn't around then. So thank God for that. We are good on evangelism. It's encouraging to be in a church that emphasizes uh, evangelism. We're good on missionary outlook. We're good on uh, encouraging one another in the things of God. But what about our churchmanship? We're not very good at being 
church people. Uh, we uh, don't have a high view of the church as evangelicals. And what Paul is doing here is teaching us how to have a view of the church of Jesus Christ. It's the glorious body of Jesus Christ. And he's written about brotherly love. Brotherly love is filio. And the church is to be a city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. And in these verses, he gives us just short, pithy statements. There's nothing uh, long here, just short, sharp statements about how the church can be a place that conforms to the first hymn we sang. Don't you want that? The church is a family. And we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And in a family, there's a structure. So you have the father, the head of the family. You have children submitting to their parents. So everybody's equal in the family. But... The father is in charge, and the children are to obey their parents. So in the family of the church, we're all brothers and sisters. I want to emphasize that. But God has given a structure. So he has given uh, fathers, if I can put it like that. He has given pastors and elders. And it doesn't matter how spiritual we claim to be. If we can't submit to the word of God... It doesn't count. So that's what we mean by churchmanship. We have a high view of one another as members of Christ's body. And we have a high view of the structure that our Savior has ordained. Now, there are different views on how you do church. I'm not interested in that. I'm just interested in the basics here. And so what Paul is writing about here, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's family guidelines. Do you have family guidelines? Uh, when I used to live in Cardiff, I was a school teacher up in the valley, and we lived in a Christian house, and our um, landlord, he had uh, house rules, house rules. He had a nice front room, and he kept all his antiques there, and we weren't allowed to kick a football in the front room. Now, that's not the kind of thing Paul is thinking about here. He's thinking about family guidelines. What does it mean to love one another as brothers and sisters in terms of loving our Savior? What does it mean to submit to our elders? What does it mean to submit to one another? It's all to do with these things. If you uh, look at the section, if you've got a Bible, from verse 12 to verse 24, you've got the family guidelines and then from verse 25 to the end of the chapter, you've got the final greetings and the benediction. And if you look at verses 12 to 24 especially, one word is repeated again and again and again. Do you know what word it is? We urge you, brothers, uh, where else? Verse 14, now we exhort you. Brothers, I don't like the word brethren, it has the wrong associations. Brothers, uh, it's used in this section 
And then, of course, verse 25, brothers pray for us. Verse 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I'll need time to prepare for that. And uh, there's mention of brothers in verse 27. The word brothers is used again and again. We are family. We mustn't think of competition. We mustn't think of power play. We're brothers. We're brothers in arms. Name him, brothers. Name him, says the well-known hymn, Onward, Christian Soldiers. And there's an underlying thread throughout these verses of peace. So the verse we're going to look at tonight is verse 12. But verse 13 ends with, Be at peace among yourselves. The theme of peace, writes Beale in his famous commentary, is threaded throughout these guidelines. The fact that brother, which undergirds the church as family, is repeated five times, that points further to peace as the dominant theme. If earthly families should be characterized by peace, how much more the family of God? This is the witness to the world, Jesus in his high priestly prayer. By this shall people know that they love one another. What is it, this Philadelphia love? Well, Paul is going to uh, spell it out. Uh, Somebody said the church would be fine if it wasn't for the people in it. Do you understand that? If, if you've had a bad experience of church, if you've been burnt, and a lot of people, we have to be honest here now, a lot of people over the decades have been burnt, and they've got disillusion with church. These are the words we need. The balm. Uh, there, there's a ditty, isn't there? Do you know this one? To love... Hang on. To live above... With saints we love, that will be glory. To live above with saints we love, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, that's quite a different story. (laughs) So may God give me wisdom and grace and love as we look this evening as these family guidelines. So the first part of the family guidelines has to do with the leadership of the family. That's what we're going to start looking at this evening. Uh, And that's in verses 12 to 13. Then in verses 14 to 15, it's the fellowship of the family. So all of us. And then the worship of the family in 16 to 24. So let's just start looking at the leadership of the family We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Two things. We'll look at the first tonight, and then the next one next Sunday evening, God willing. What are the leaders to be like? And secondly, what is the attitude of the congregation to the leaders? to be like. That's quite straightforward, isn't it? Uh, A little aside, is it just men that we're thinking of in terms of leaders? We've been having a discussion on this in elders. Fiona 
has produced an excellent paper on where do women fit in. If we're all one as a family, uh, is it just male leadership? Uh, Well, the Bible is quite clear here. Uh, In uh, 1 Timothy, uh, Paul gives the reason uh, for male leadership, not as cultural, but as uh, biblical. Uh, He talks about uh, Eve being tempted before Adam. And so that is why uh, the women are not uh, to teach over the men in the church. So I think it's biblical to say that it's male leadership. Uh, We don't believe in women preachers or in women elders. But, and it's a big but, if you read the end of Romans, Paul mentions his co-workers, 26 are mentioned, and 10 of them are women. So the role of women, when we say that they're not in leadership, cannot mean that they're just relegated to the background. In the ministry of the great apostle Paul, the women were at the forefront. In the ministry of Jesus Christ, who were those who were really closest to him? In his greatest hour of need, when he was hanging on that cross, who were the disciples that were supporting him most? It was the women, wasn't it? Who were those who were first at uh, uh, the grave? Uh, Who were the first to go there on the first day of the week? It was the women. So women had a prominent role in the ministry of Jesus Christ. In Titus, Titus chapter 2, Paul says older women teach the younger women. So there is obviously a teaching work for uh, those of you who are women to do. There is such a thing as mothers in Israel. Some of you here are mothers in Israel. You are godly people and you've got much to teach, not just the younger women, but the rest of us as well. That doesn't mean that we have to have women preachers, but surely it means there is a vital role for women in the church. Uh, some of you will have remembered uh, the Sisters of the People. How many of you remember the Sisters of the People? Mrs. Hyam was a sister of the people. Apparently, she used to preach. And she was a better preacher, some said, than her husband. That must have been quite something. Did, do you remember Sister Halewen here? In Cardiff, a sister of the people. She was formidable. There was an anointing on Sister Halewen. And in Welsh-speaking circles, some of us will have known of uh, Meyer Patagonia, anti-Meyer, we called her, in Patagonia. In exceptional circumstances, I believe God raises women preachers. There were no men to preach in the Welsh chapels in Patagonia. So God raised anti-Meyer from Llandasil to Patagonia. And there was an anointing on her. What do you make of Helen Rosevier? I think she's the only woman to have stood where I'm standing now. And didn't she speak with an unction on the work of God in the Congo? What about Elizabeth Elliot? When Elizabeth Elliot spoke, not in the main meetings in the Aber Conference many years ago, but in uh, one of the other meetings, there were many ministers there. 
And I would have been there as well. A godly woman. And we can think of some we know even in this church. So let us pray, not just that the Lord will guide us to men uh, that are to be elders, godly men, but let us pray, not for women elders, but that God would really bless the women as well in the church. So before I'm thrown out, (laughs) let's look now at these verses. Leaders, what are we to do? We've looked at it in eldership, but there are other things mentioned here. And for you as a congregation to know, what uh, are we as leaders uh, here for? Well, let's read, uh, and I'll open up what Paul has to say, and then we'll be done and we'll sing a hymn, and we'll have the after meeting. The first thing that is said about them is that they labor. They labor. What does that mean? The word in the original means toil. It speaks of effort, sweat, even to the point of exhaustion. Uh, You know, don't you, what it's like to work all day. And when you get home at the end of the day, all you can do is drag yourself into bed and you just sleep straight away. I'm not saying that the work of the pastor is like that every day, but that's the picture we have here of the ministry, labor. Matthew Henry said, they are called laborers and should not be loiterers. They were practical, weren't they? Those men of old. And as we saw in uh, the series on eldership, Paul especially refers to preaching and teaching. 1 Timothy 5.17, those who labor in the ministry of the word. Do you know what? It's labor to preach. Uh, I know you don't think that a minister only works one day a week on Sundays. There are some people who think that. Neither is the Christian ministry a nine-to-five job. And incidentally, some of the things I'm saying here, it's not just for those of us who are preachers, it's for others in Christian service. Think of Fiona and Levon and some of our missionaries. It's not a nine-to-five job. It's a calling. It's a calling. Now, that doesn't mean to say that the pastor has to be in a suit and tie 24-7. But there is that being available and when you're preaching I don't know anything like preaching I used to be a school teacher now it was tough being a school teacher I don't know how you do it those of you who are still teaching but there's something about preaching that's different to teaching or lecturing it's not just the mental uh, efforts but you bear your soul. I'm bearing my soul here tonight. There is an emotional drain and the spiritual drain. And when you think of the great apostle Paul saying he was preaching in weakness and fear and much trembling, well, that is labor, is it not? And when you think of all the other things, it's the primacy of preaching in the series of eldership. All of us, pastors and elders, have the spiritual oversight of the flock. 
The pastors are there primarily to preach, but they are also involved in the visiting. That's not easy, is it? Especially with the 20 miles an hour speed limits. And when you're listening to people, you're emotionally involved with people. Not just those of us in ministry, but you know what it's like to bear people's burdens. It's a privilege, but it's wearying as well. And then uh, there are such things as uh, what's going to be happening on Thursday, a funeral service. And there are weddings. And there are committee meetings. And there are other things as well. So all of this is labor. Sometimes people misuse the Spurgeon quote, if you can do anything else, do it. And they say, well, I've tried everything else. And what they mean by that is they failed in everything else because they were no good at anything else. They were too lazy to do anything else, so they've opted for the ministry. That's not what Spurgeon was saying. He was saying, if you can do anything else, please do it. If God hasn't called a man, he can't survive today in the ministry, can he? And I would say the same of those in missionary work, men and women. Do, do, do you know the hardest thing? Do you know what it is? Tears. Blood. Toil. Tears. I don't think a minister has really begun until he's come to the point where he weeps. And they can't teach you tears in Bible college. Only God can bring, not just a minister, but all of us to that place where we know we can't do it without God. Without God. Please... please Allow me to use this illustration. Uh, when you're playing the electric guitar, you've got the pickups on the guitar, and then you've got the amplifier, and there's a spot where you stand, and I don't know how it works electronically, right? But the signal from the pickups interact with the amplifier, and they sustain the notes, apparently, if you stand in a sweet spot and play a note, it will keep going for infinity. Well, not quite. But there's a sweet spot of sustain. And brothers and sisters, there's a sweet spot in the Christian life, not just for ministers, for every one of us. And eventually we come to it, don't we? There's a sweet spot where we're sustained by the power of God. And nothing can stop us. Paul had learned that. He said, when I am weak, then am I strong. So Paul said then, I'll boast in my infirmities. Labor. We'll sing at the close of the service, O Father, who sustained them? John Berridge, those who left the stage, what a privilege to hear their experiences. Not that long ago, was it? Oh, Father, who sustained them? 
O Spirit who inspired, Saviour whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth on thine errand send us to labour for thy sake. Whatever we do, do with all your might as unto the Lord. Whether you're standing at the door, whether you're doing the notices, whether you're in the kitchen, do it as unto the Lord. Think of Aunt Bessie. She worked with Robert Bennett in the Christian bookshop in town and she polished the paving stone outside to the Lord. I believe that. Second thing, not just labor. What's the second term that Paul uses? Over you in the Lord. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. We've come across the Greek word here before when looking at elders. It means oversight. So when Paul talks about the office of a bishop, 1 Timothy 3.1, he's talking about overseer. It talks about managing. It has authority to it. And I know some Christians today, in the days in which we're living in, with the emphasis on individualism, they don't like this whole idea of authority. But the Bible teaches it. God has put fathers in authority, in the family unit, in the states. Whoever is in charge, they are God-given in terms of authority. Romans 13, and in the church, in the family of God, pastors and elders are in authority. You may not like them, but you respect them for their office's sake. Authority. Now, there's always this tension, isn't there? Uh, between extremes. I always feel we're walking a knife edge between two extremes. On the one hand, you can have a pastor who is dictatorial. Uh, you know the verse, touch not the Lord's anointed. You can't say anything against the pastor. You can't disagree with the pastor or you're blacklisted. Now, that's not the kind of authority that Paul is thinking of. But then the pendulum swings all the other direction. And you have uh, pastors the butt of every criticism. Now, that's not biblical either. The church is not a dictatorship. The church is not a democracy. The church, my friends, is a theocracy. It's God who's in charge. And where God is in charge, there is this lovely harmony. So, look, look at the words Paul uses. I find these amazing. We who are leaders are over you in the Lord, not in ourselves. There are some people... They, they have strong personalities. Now, I'm not one of those. There's nothing wrong with a strong personality being in Christian leadership, but they can't use their strong personality to force their way. There are others, and I'm in this category, I'm a bit like Timothy, timorous Timothy. We don't have that strength of strong personality but that doesn't matter, because it's in the Lord, the authority. It's in the Lord. And so, whoever the pastors or elders may be, they are representing the Lord. So we can't lord it over you. May God deliver us from that. 
but we can't either be trampled upon. May God deliver us from that. Uh, I like the way Paul puts it. Uh, we had discussions like this in Bible college. We had Graham Harrison lecture us on the church, and we had to call him Mr. Harrison. Mr. Harrison. Woe betide anybody who called him Graham. And there was a student who was saying, but Mr. Harrison, what about Paul? Paul, he's Paul. Why can't we call you Graham? And Mr. Harrison was straight in. Yes, but Paul the Apostle. Can you see the balance? Paul, yes, among you, among you. And yet, the Apostle. He's not writing a private letter. He's writing as a leader called by Christ. So I don't mind you calling me win. I really don't. But I'm still God's servant. And I don't think Andy minds being called Andy. And Nathan doesn't mind being called Nathan. And I don't think the elders mind being called by their first names. But we're still called of God. And there is an authority. There, it's servant leadership, isn't it? Uh, what did Jesus Christ say? Turn to Mark 10. I know time is going. But we're not to be like the world. We're not to be politicians. There's too much politics in churches these days. Uh, we're not to indulge in that. Uh, the disciples, when Jesus was ministering on earth, were tempted to be a bit like politicians. They were having an argument about who would be greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus Christ, he just put it in such a lovely way. Uh, Mark chapter 10. Uh, this is not uh, long before the crucifixion. And this is how he puts it. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If we're serving the great shepherd, the servant king, we under shepherds are to be servant kings and we're all to serve one another. We're all to submit to one another as we submit to the Lord. And that means as well submitting to those that God has put over us. We don't submit to the person. I've got no authority in my person. Neither has Andy, neither has any of the elders. It doesn't matter how senior the elders may be. They've got no authority in their person. It's all to do with the office that we are holding. Uh, John Stott, uh, incidentally, his commentary on uh, these books are brilliant in the Bible Speaks today. Jesus says that the chief characteristics of Christian leaders is humility, not authority, gentleness, not power. Nevertheless, authentic Servant leadership still carries an element of authority, God-given authority. Finally, finally, admonish. Admonish. Recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. If you're getting the EBGBs here, I can understand. What does the word admonish mean? It's the Greek word, nusthetos. What does it mean? It means correction. So it means this, 
the Bible has been given to admonish us, to correct us. So if we've got an attitude that's wonky, uh, sitting under the word of God changes that attitude. And attitude changes actions, don't they? And so the whole point of sitting under the word, as we're doing tonight, is in order, yes, that we are comforted, but in order that we might be admonished so that we are changed. Do you believe in change? I do. Some people think Heath Church should never change. Well, in one sense, that's right. But in another sense, if we stand still, we go backwards. We must change because we're growing to become more Christ-like. If there's life, there's growth. And so this word admonish means changing into the image of Christ. Not just changing behavior, but changing outlook, changing mindsets. And uh, you have it, don't you? Uh, a little later, Second uh, Thessalonians, when Paul wrote the second letter, he goes as far as to say this, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are uh, busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command, not in his person, but in terms of his authority as an apostle, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. And if anyone does not obey our word in this, note that person and do not keep company with them. Do not keep company with them. Yet do not count them as an enemy, but admonish them as brothers. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about discipline. Now we get all uncomfortable when we hear about church discipline. But Paul says, the word of God is our authority. And if we are not conforming to the word, and especially if there are people who are blatantly disobeying the word, we are to deal with that as leaders. And it means that we note them and have nothing to do with them. That does not mean crossing the streets if we see them. It means loving them and treating them as human beings. But we recognize that they must repent. It's a frightening thing, isn't it? Let, let me refer to Helen Rosevier. When she was in the Congo... There was a revival. And she was resistant to it at first. The missionaries were hard. And God started to deal with them. He started to change their attitudes. And they began to confess sins such as pride and envy among themselves as workers. And it was then that the spirits of revival came upon the missionaries. They, they were convicted, weren't they, by the Holy Spirit. This is where we must tread a fine line. A spiritual abuse is a huge subject today. And it's possible for Christian leaders to step over the line uh, by trying to force people into a certain pattern of behavior. That's not right. That is not what admonish means. Admonish means being changed by the word of God, by the spirit of God. 
It means clear biblical principles that are broken and having to deal with people that break those. It's got nothing to do with control or power. Well, I've got to come to a conclusion. We'll finish this next time. But Calvin defined a church as consisting of three things. The preaching of the word. If you haven't got the preaching of the word, you haven't got a church. The administering of the sacrament, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and the exercise of church discipline. If we are not ruled by the word of God, then anything goes, does it not? Uh, there was one commentator who put it like this. When discipline leaves the church, Christ goes with it. It's not power. It's not control. Please don't think that. It's being conformed to the will of God as revealed in his word. And my prayer for us as we go through these verses is that God would admonish us in his word, would comfort us as well, but that we would be changed into the kind of church that Jesus Christ would have us be. Uh, I watched uh, Dan Pugh's uh, amazing uh, video on Welsh Awakenings. If you haven't seen it, watch it. And I was convicted. I'll be open. I was convicted. And I realized it's not that dodgy church down the road that needs revival. They may do. <laughs> it's we, my friends. We are the ones who need to be awakened. These respectable sins... May God, by his Spirit, search the recesses of our hearts and bring them out. And may we, what did we used to sing? Come to the Lord our God with contrite hearts return. Are we broken? Good. <laughs> That's what God wants. Because our God is gracious and he will not leave the desolate to mourn he will turn the desolate places into a fruitful garden let's leave it at that we'll continue next sunday god willing for his name's sake let's sing the hymn i've quoted facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees a need that undiminished does something to our slothful ease uh, let's sing 771 
So, Father, we thank Thee that we are involved in a great work, both uh, leaders and people. And we do want, O oh God, to keep short accounts with Thee. And we do want Thee to just deal with us uh, according to Thy grace. Uh, shape us, O oh God, by the word, not by our uh, Christian culture, as it were, but by the uh, word of God. May it mould us into the image of Christ. And now may the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.